All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to church. I'm glad you're here. If you're new at the mill, we'd love for you to fill out a welcome card this morning. You can do that by going on your smartphone to the mill.church slash welcome, the mill.church slash welcome. You can also fill out a hard copy to the back. It'll just give us a chance to learn your name and get to know you a little better. Quisin, could I have your help this morning in starting some clipboards around? These are some volunteer uh, sign-ups for our Christmas Eve service. Every year we do this. It's just been easier to staff some people to bring cookies and to greet folks at the door and to help with candles and things like that. And what we don't want to do is be presumptuous and just schedule you for Christmas Eve. We know that's a meaningful time for family. So rather, we make that service uh, completely voluntary. And if you're able to help us, we would uh, be delighted. So if you wouldn't mind, we have a 3.30 and a 5.30 service. Take a look at that clipboard. I know that this may be the first time you've even thought about it. Likely is. So you can pass it by if needed. But if you'd communicate with us and let us know what would work for you and your family, if anything, uh, we would appreciate being able to serve people on Christmas Eve. It's one of our best attended services of the year between Christmas Eve and Easter, so it's generally a packed house. Um, So uh, I hope it is, and I hope we uh, have all of our bases covered and are ready for folks and to see what God will do. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to open to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 I'm going to do a standalone message uh, this morning before we get into our holiday season of Christmas. Uh, We often spend several weeks looking at the Christmas story or different aspects of the Christmas story. That's going to be no different this year. Uh, But what I want to do is just talk to you this morning uh, about something that I think we all get carried away with this time of year. We are in between the holidays. This is when things start ramping up toward Christmas. Uh, Some of you probably uh, shopped till you dropped yesterday. That's not really my thing. I was grateful that Shannon was scheduled to work and I was at home with the kids and not driving around looking at sales and flyers and promotions. Thank you, but no thank you. But some people love that kind of thing. And it's a great time to, to get deals for, for Christmas. And, but the reality is this thing is going to snowball uh, until Christmas. And if we're not careful, uh, that snowball can become unmanageable. And it can really wreck what Christmas is meant to celebrate, which is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to I wanna kind of share a story with you this morning of a, of a gal who let things get out of control in terms of her own busyness. And I hope this kind of sets the pace for you as you approach the month of December, as you enter December, as you get ready for holiday gatherings, uh, that you won't forget her experience with Jesus. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And before we get to that story, I just want to highlight this verse in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Uh, excuse me, this, this uh, narrative, this message uh, in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight. Anybody feel like Christmas shopping is a weight just out of curiosity? It doesn't energize you. It it 
draws, sucks the livelihood right out of you. Okay, that's our family. Okay, Shannon and I have, you know, paper, rock, scissors, arguing matches over who's going to shop for Christmas. Um, It's just not, you know, our favorite. Okay, so therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. How many of you know if we're not careful, materialism can absolutely be a sin that takes root in our heart and distracts us from uh, especially the purpose of Christmas? Um, which clings so closely, the sin, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. People look to a lot of different things uh, during the Christmas season. Several years ago, the upside-down Christmas tree came out so that people could have more room underneath the tree for gifts. Okay? How many of you are like, dumb idea? Yeah, dumb idea, really dumb idea. Uh, I heard someone say, if you have an upside-down tree, you're likely to have an upside-down Christmas. I think that's true. Um, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, I hope you endure in this season, from sinner such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow... Weary. Anybody get weary in the month of December? Or faint-hearted? What an important theme to study, that of of simply running the race. Uh, Not simply, excuse me, of running the race, but how to run the race with perseverance. Um, There's one word in these verses that describes the kind of running we ought to be doing as Christians, especially, I would say, during the these holiday uh, seasons, and that's the word perseverance. Um, I will tell you up front that I'm not even going to try to talk about running with perseverance, running in an intelligible way, because I hate running. I hate running with a passion. There is nothing in my life, well, I shouldn't say nothing, That would be hyperbole. But I just hate running. You give me a ball to chase, I can run all day long. That's why racquetball in particular was such an appealing sport to me in school. Um, One of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, said once that racquetball is the only sport where you can simultaneously be looking at the ball and it hit you in the back of the head because it just whirls around the room so fast. And um, I remember being so confident as uh, a college kid and, and then uh, as, who was learning racquetball and then a graduate student who played with professors all the time that one year I went home for Christmas uh, during uh, a time where people were taking breaks and I got invited to uh, play racquetball on a court with a man named Buck Dwiggins. Buck Dwiggins was a friend of my dad's. He was in his mid-60s, in his mid-60s, and Buck invited me to play while I was home. Now, what mid-20-something would not just be delighted to hop on a racquetball court and whoop up on somebody in their mid-60s, right? 
So I was so excited to do this. I was in the best shape of my life. This man was shorter than me. This man was rounder than me. This man was balder than me. This man was slower than me. And I envisioned myself running circles around Buck. And indeed I did run circles around Buck. Because Buck was the senior citizen champion in our county in racquetball. And Buck knew every angle of the room like a mathematician. And Buck knew exactly where to place the ball so that he could stand in the center of the room, immobile, while I ran chasing the ball for two hours. I believe our match results were 15 to 2, 15, or 11, I can't even remember now, it's been so long since I played racquetball, 15 to 2, 15 to 3, 15 to 6, I may have scored at one point, but the reality is, I got waxed. Buck was so incredibly proficient as a man in his mid-60s that he completely controlled the game with the geometry in his mind. He knew every shot type. His, his mind carried him two or three swings ahead of where my mind would carry me. He played racquetball like somebody would play chess. He knew what was coming, right? And so Buck would just sit in the middle and wham, bam, bam, and then he'd chuckle. I could see his whole body shake when he'd chuckle as I would dive one way and dive the other and fail to really compete. Sometimes I still wake up at night and hear Buck chuckling. So the difference between Buck's style of play and my style of play was that Buck played with endurance. I played with passion. Buck played with perseverance. I played with enthusiasm. See, I think if we're going to serve Jesus well through the holiday season and into our 60s and 70s and 90s, we need to learn how to sit motionless in the center of a room at the feet of Jesus, adoring him, treasuring him, reading our word, Spending time in prayer, in solace, in solitude, in quiet. And if we don't, and instead spend our Decembers chasing things, my concern is that our spirit is going to get beat to a pulp. And so my question to you this morning to start things off, how are, you, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at abiding in Jesus? How are you doing at carving out time? How are you doing with intentionality, opening God's word? How are you doing sharing your needs with him in prayer? Now I'm going to jump, and I'm going to read a story to you about a a gal in the New Testament who, if you would admit this morning that you're struggling 
would say the same, I think. Her name is Martha, and she, along with her sister Mary's story, is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This is what we read. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much what? Serving. What do we do at Christmas time? We serve. She was being hospitable. She's distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve here alone? How many of you have had that attitude when you were in your kitchen preparing food? How many of you have had that attitude when you were in the kitchen washing dishes? Tell her, tell her, tell Mary, my sister, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. A couple of surface observations in the text this morning. First, Jesus had friends. Are you aware that you and I need friends? Do you know that? You need people to do life with, to engage with, to be known by, to be cared for by. Jesus was friends with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, whose story we looked at not too long ago. So who are your friends? That's my question for you this morning. Because friends are different than Facebook friends. Friends are different than Instagram followers. Friends are people that you can sit down with face-to-face and talk about your life. These are people who often choose I should say the people online are people who often choose you, right? But you're the one who gets to choose your friends, your real friends. You can, you can choose them, okay? And to the nurturing types among us, I would, say, I would say to all of us, please choose the lion's share of your friends to be people that edify you and lift you up and build you up and don't drain you and suck life from you. That is just, I got that advice years ago. That's just great advice. Pick people that are going to lift you up, right? You need that. Jesus was energized by his friends. He also had a few that sucked the life out of him. But generally, he was energized. They ministered to him. These Two in particular cooked for him, and they were attentive to him. Uh, Jesus, by now, had reached this superstardom kind of status, and crowds were swarming, and people were wanting and needing and even demanding things of Jesus. Do this, Jesus. Do that, Jesus. How many of you know you need friendships that don't do that? Do this, Nate. Be here at this time, Mike. Help me, Perry. Okay? Tell him to relax. Right? 
Another observation is that Jesus, a single male, had some female friends. Now, he didn't spend excessive time with females alone. That would not be wise. But the reason it wasn't awkward is that Jesus treated, treated excuse me, these ladies as sisters. As sisters. How many of you know that when, when we, gentlemen, see ladies as sisters and not as objects, that God is honored by those kinds of relationships? Another initial observation is that siblings are quite different. How many of you have a sibling who's different than you? Okay, different than you. Mary and Martha are different. I will tell you Levi and Miles, they're quite different. Levi was in a tiff from Miles on the school bus a couple years ago. Levi was holding Miles down between the seats on the floorboard. So for the first time, he got written up. Levi did by the school bus driver. Uh, The funny thing is, I was the school bus driver. So I had just written up another boy that week for a lesser offense, and I thought, fair is fair. Like, my kid deserves it, right? So I write Levi up. Levi gets called to the principal's office the next day at school. The principal notifies Levi's mother, who is married to me, it's just like this big circle of life, right? So, but our boys, they clash. They are different. And in our text, Martha, she's the, she's the driver. She's the get-her-done type. She's the to-do list person. She's the one that um, always comes home from school and, and, like Miles, my second born, and rolls up the empty garbage can, and, and she does her homework right away, and she empties her backpack, and she starts chopping up vegetables, right, for, for dinner. What about Mary? Mary's not like that. Mary's more contemplative. Mary gravitates in the text today toward silence and toward prayer and toward simplicity. We might say Mary is an introvert, not an extrovert. Mary uh, enjoys fasting. Mary enjoys journaling. Martha is very active. Mary is very passive. At all costs, Martha will do things. And Mary, she's not all about doing as much as she is about what? About being. Being someone. Being with Jesus. Um, Martha's worried about her responsibilities. I got to get this done and do this. And Mary's over here concerned about her relationships. Martha is type what? Type A. And Mary is type B. So let me ask you this. If Jesus were to knock on your door tonight, like he did Mary and Martha's, would you be more like Martha? Or would you be more like Mary? Would you say, Jesus, would you, would you mind coming back in an hour? Because I, I haven't had a shower, and I, I got some cleaning up to do, and I need to tidy some of the corners of the kitchen, and I haven't swept in a week. Or would you just be so honored? And blessed that the King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords had knocked on your door, that you would say, please come in. Jesus, sit down. I have always wanted to be with you, meet with you. I have so many questions to ask you. So try to put yourself, if you wouldn't mind, consciously in one of those two categories. Are you a Martha or are you a Mary? Put yourself into one bucket or the other. I heard some somebody say once, if you're not sure which one you are, then you're a Mary. Because darn it, Martha knows who she is, right? So uh, in the story, there's not a lot bad that we can say about Mary. Mary is often preached about as being superb and, and great and the one who's with Jesus. And Martha, meanwhile, she's in the kitchen preparing her portions and Jesus makes this mic drop kind of statement uh, that Mary is actually the one who has received the best portion, he called it. Now, portion is an interesting word choice because Martha's the one who's in the kitchen making the portions. She's preparing a meal. And Jesus says, it's Mary, actually, who's received the best portion. The portion he's referring to is not a chicken breast, is not a pork loin, but is, of course, himself. She's receiving the bread of life. In other words, whatever your favorite meal is, whatever your favorite meal is, Jesus is better. Let me say that again. Whatever your favorite meal is, Jesus is better. I have uh, told you just a couple weeks ago that I had this profound experience with God once in, of all places, Cracker Barrel when I was younger, and I was just by myself praying and listening, and I just became overwhelmed with God's presence. As I sat there with a cup of coffee and in his goodness, and it just I just kind of sobbed under my breath at my my seat, and I was surrounded by empty nesters and antiques, and God just just met me there. And I just want to remind you that, that, that Jesus is better than your busyness. Do you know that? He's so much better than your busyness. He's, he's better than he, and not your schedule or your to-do list, is your treasure. He's the one that we're to adore. He, and not your inbox, is your greatest joy, your best preoccupation that you could concern yourself with. He and not the notifications that ding incessantly on your phone if you allow them, and I'd encourage you not to allow them. He is Lord over you, not the notifications. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. Um, I must tell you, I'm preaching to the choir this morning because I am a Martha stillness is a really big struggle for me, always has been. Um, I told my wife 
Shannon, I feel hypocritical bringing this word to you. And she said, Zach, if you only preached what you were good at, you'd never preach. And I said, thanks, I think. It sounds a little condescending. No, but I think I know what she was getting at. So let me encourage the Marthas in the room who are like me for a minute in this. Because if we, have, if we slap their hands with a ruler and admonish them and say, you need to read your Bible, Martha. You need to pray, Martha. You need to be more active in your quiet time, Martha. How do the Marthas of the world interpret that? As another task, another thing, another to do. They just add quiet time, the Marthas do, to their to-do list. So our challenge as Marthas is to, is to view our time along with Jesus in sharp distinction, in sharp contrast to all of our post-its and all of our reminders and all of our emails. And I'll take it this far. There are even pluses to be being a Martha. And there's even a plus in the text. If we read closely, verse 38 says, A woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Who is the only individual that extended the invitation to Jesus to come into her house? Martha did. Martha's the one that invited him over. That's a great thing. There are benefits. Hello to hanging out with Martha's. They cook Mary's meals. Do they not? They do. They'll do things for you. They'll run errands. But if that's why Martha is good, why is Martha bad, so to speak? Verse 42, Martha was distracted with much serving. Is it possible then... As we move into December, that you and I become so overextended, that you and I become so overcommitted, even in volunteerism, even in philanthropy, even in hospitality, even in ministry. That Jesus becomes peripheral? Of course it is. You can reach the point where you have nominated yourself to do too much. You can reach the point where you have too many relationships to keep spinning. You can reach the point where you have too much work in a given time period. Look at the second half of verse 40. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Martha had the audacity to ask the creator of the universe if he cared the one who was about to die for her, if he cared about her. Do you not care? See, Martha's become resentful toward Mary's. It looks like 
we, Marthas, are serving sacrificially on the outside, but inwardly we loathe the ones who can sit quietly at the feet of Jesus in rest, in peace. And here's what we sound like. You ready? Nobody ever helps. Nobody chips in. Nobody shares. I'm the only one working. You're all blisters. You show up after the work's done. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. How come you never help? And see, we Marthas need to be very careful not to allow our tendency to take on responsibility as self-righteousness. Look at all the things I have going. Look at all the things I'm involved with. I'm important. I'm on the Hannah Center board. I'm involved with United Way. Another observation, look at what Mary, or rather Martha does next. Jesus, tell Mary. <laughs> Jesus, tell Mary to help me. Now she's tattletailing on Mary, but who is she bossing around? Jesus. Tell Mary to help me. Surely she's heard about him multiplying the loaves and fishes. Surely she, she could have trusted him that the meal would have, would have arrived, right? Instead, she nominates herself to do something that Jesus never asked her to do to begin with. He didn't ask her to start making from scratch biscuits. He just wanted to be with them. How many of you have in the past become burned out because you have committed to doing something that Jesus never asked you to do in the first place? Anybody besides me? I'm feeling alone. Okay, thank you for the acknowledgement. A little advice for the Marthas, be honest. We assume that Martha discovered, or rather discussed this with Jesus in private, um, it's likely that our author, Luke, actually interviewed, actually interviewed Martha uh, years later to get the story straight, Luke being the eyewitness. And thankfully, Martha doesn't present herself as some saint because I think she could have. She could have told Luke, the author, the recorder of this event, she could have said, hey, Luke, you know, who faithfully recorded it, she could have said, yeah, Jesus came over and Mary didn't do a dang thing. Would you please write the story that way? I was the only one working. She's, it, it appear honest about it. Um, so don't, is the point, don't masquerade as someone who's chock full of grit and elbow grease as if that's always a good thing. Don't say, I'm a great and creative mom. I'm invincible, dad. Tell it like it is. 
I'm overextended. I'm burnt out. I'm serving with energy externally, but on the inside, I am seething. at those who know how to rest in Christ. Second quick thought to Martha's. Like me, don't neglect the Marys. Understand that the Marys in your life can get lonely. Understand that the Marys, that's that's the flip side of of Mary's character. Yes, they can read. Yes, they can pray. Yes, they can relax. But they also eat meals by themselves. Meanwhile, there you come, there you go. I'll be there in a minute, Mary. I've just got one more thing. Wait, the phone's ringing, ding. An email came in. Don't neglect the Marys in your life. I've got a couple Marys for children that need this Martha to be a Mary from time to time. To stop. And what I love about this story is how gentle Jesus is in his response. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't get impatient. Instead, he says her name twice, which is actually a term of endearment. Scholars say it's a way to address someone sincerely and lovingly. He says, Martha, Martha. You are not Marsha, Marsha. That's a different. uh, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You are troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Sit at my feet. I am your portion. Church, did you know that productivity can be idolatry? Let me say that again. Are you aware that productivity can be idolatry? Getting things done becomes the golden calf that we sacrifice everything for. Jesus said only one thing is necessary. Slowing down. Treasuring him. I hope that informs how we shop. I hope that informs how we plan. I hope that informs how we spend. Amen? Check out this clip. Clear the stage and set the sound and the lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's fueling half revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social Seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to
step is more than a song. Take a break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper I beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard Until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes you can sing all you want to is more than a song we must not worship something that's not even worth it you clear the stage make some space for the one who deserves it Anything I put before my God is an idol And anything I want with all my heart is an idol And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol Anything that I give all my love is an idol Cause I can sing all I want to, yes I can Sing all I want to That's the measure you must take to crush the idols We can sing all we want to And we can still get it wrong Several years ago, I was um, kind of entered into a 
several years ago, probably eight, nine, ten years ago, into a pretty major, for me at the time, novel cycle of anxiety. And I just remember having this long to-do list and feeling like I would never get to the end of it. And it was keeping me up at night. And it was um, just making my chest thump and ended up sending me to the emergency room at one point and thinking something was wrong with my heart even. And I remember taking somebody to coffee that I admired and saying, I just can't get my list out of my head. And this very wise person looked at me and and basically said, Zach, you will never get to the bottom of your list. You cannot continue to believe the lie that if you keep checking things off, it'll all get done and you'll get your life back. Because it's simply not true. That very mindset in itself holds you captive. What will liberate you from your idol of Doing stuff is when you realize that only one thing that you do is necessary. And that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Worship like Mary, then work like Martha. Everybody say that with me. Worship like Mary, then work like Martha. Spend time with the Lord. Get off the proverbial wheel. Quit running around the racquetball court, chasing things. And hunker down in the center of his goodness and chuckle again in the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, you you love us so much. You're constantly drawing us to yourself. Lord, help us to be still enough to hear your voice. Lord, your voice isn't found in the noise that society produces. It's not in the wind or the rain, or the thunder, or the lightning. Your voice is still, and it's small. And we must be quiet to hear you, to enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen.